So BlackRock three years ago, um, Larry Fink sent a letter to every one of their stakeholders, and this is $7 trillion behind it saying, hey, every C-suite person hearing this, you need to start tracking the CSG number and reporting it or we're going to fire you. That was one. What really got people moving this year is when the SEC proposed a new rule in March saying you have to, if, if we adopt this rule next year, you have to be able to stand behind the numbers you tell us for scope one and two with the same legal ramification if you're lying as you would be on your financials. So if you, if you go to market and your CFO has signed saying you have 100,000 tons of carbon and it's proven that you have 200, you're looking at the nine-figure fine if, if looking to Europe as any forecast for the future. So that's where we see people kind of terrified now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Rupendra Verma, and today we have Nate Wine with us. Nate here is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Floodlight. Hey, Nate, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Bendra. Great to see you. All right, Nate. So let's let's talk about Floodlight first, right? What does the company do and why do customers pay you money? Yeah, so Floodlight is a company that's focused on essentially making ESG data more scientific. So as more um, environmental data is required by regulatory bodies, a lot of companies have never had to gather this information before, and it can be very expensive and time-consuming because they do it all internally. We do it all with satellites and ground sensors, and then we charge a subscription basis for it. All right. So is it a pure data play, right? So is it, is it that you, you, do, you, do you have a database that you're constantly updating and are you just selling the data? Is that how it works? Yeah. So we, we sit in the, the acronym our industry uses is MRV. So measurement, um, reporting and verification. So we sit in those three together. And yes, we are continuing to expand the database. We have, in addition to one and two greenhouse gas, we've got 122 data themes in ESG that we cover and sell as well. All right. So let's, let's talk a bit about these customers, right? What sort of customers do you have? And so, so what I want you to do is just pick one of your, you know, representative customer and talk about how they use your data. And if you, if you do anything other, apart from data, just talk, talk about that as well. But if, do you have any, if you have any product around which you sort of building that data, right? So just talk about that as well in, in, in terms of how your, how, how your customer is using you. Perfect. Yeah. So that, um, one of the customers I would, I would, probably highlight first is a private equity firm. So private equity shops currently are usually spending most of their effort after they find a target company to buy and making sure the financials work. So they want to check two, three, four, five years out to make sure this cash flows. The current problem a lot of them have is it takes usually three to six months just to calculate the carbon that a, a company will have to disclose. That because they have to usually they have to fly people out to take measurements. They have to count how many machines there are. They have to figure out the supply chain, et cetera. We can do all of that in four business days. And I think the private equity shops that we're using um, and that we're seeing the most interest from are the ones that want to use us as their edge because they can whip through their compliance and due diligence, you know, five, 10 times faster than their competitors and about an eighth of the price. So, so just to sort of uh, understand this better, right? What sort of companies are these PE firms looking to buy? Which, what industries are they in? Yeah. So um, we see manufacturing a lot. We see energy a lot. And then we see financial services, ironically. <laughs> we don't think financial services have many emissions because it's mostly people in offices. But those, uh, those financial institutions are coming under massive pressure to say, okay, how many of your employees are traveling how many um, are you left lead on any of these deals that are actually producing more emissions? Because we can calculate that all a lot better for them than they can do themselves. And most people would rather have an arm's length, like an auditor doing it instead of them themselves. 
it's in how how do you do that and so for example imagine a pe firm is looking to buy a buy a manufacturing firm right so how do you sort of get all of this data within just a couple of days what are you doing there yeah it's super fun so i mean i'm it's very exciting to be able to do it but essentially we've we've gotten deals with four major satellite providers and with close to 30 ground sensor network providers and essential we we do is we will bring in that data we get a list of the assets so the buildings or the warehouses that we're supposed to review and then our data is fully refreshed for, fully refreshed for the entire planet every 3 days so we can take measurements and then we can go back up to 12 years and we can forecast likely output in the next 3 got it got it so so talk talk about so let's let's sort of uh, move to your product first right because look my my sort of audience are majorly software audience so typically they build yeah. software and they end up selling it looks like you're doing a you 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 similar but you're doing something else apart from that so just help me uh, understand right so once you collect this satellite imagery right how do you sort of transform that into whatever is needed for these customers so what exactly do you do you do any yeah, processing and is it automated manual do you use any software they just talk about the product that you really have Yeah so the the product that we use most often for the private equity use case is called Sage S A G E or spatial asset for greenhouse gas emission and essentially what we do is we will train our satellites directly onto the assets we're looking for the satellite will actually line up with the sun and then we can assign a different color for a different gas so carbon is usually blue methane is usually purple and then polycarbonate gases are usually pink or white and essentially we can track how intense that is based on the visuals and that can go down up to 5 meter resolution if we need it so we take that information then we'll pull it from the ground sensors as well so with satellites you usually have some problems because there can be wind dispersal you can be next to a freeway so there's a lot of mix with ground sensors we can actually measure and hold it against the satellite data to be more precise we then essentially build our models to calculate exactly how much that business or that asset under review is responsible for and then push that back to them really quickly we use ai to essentially confirm back that the data and the outliers that we've identified really do harmonize and then we'll benchmark it against our customers so is this software powered so do you have a do you have a set of engineers who are actually doing it yeah so josh pitts is our cto he's worked at pretty much every major house so he's done google he's done amazon he's done several major engagements with Microsoft and whatnot so he's built all of the software behind to empower our other co-founder Dr. Gopal all of her all of her academic work is basically pushed into the software okay so this is not essentially a data play then you are actually end up selling you're, you're selling software to be honest right so you are sort you have a software is which is sort of you know extracting these patterns or whatever you call it out of the satellite imagery and you're sort of transforming them into meaningful data for your customers that's what you're doing right you got so, it all right all right you so it. you are you are you are a typical saas company then so let's let's sort of get into that right so so uh, <laughs> so just give me some approximate numbers in, of of your customers right how many customers do you have on your platform as of today yeah so we just broke through to 20 so we've mm-hmm. uh, we've been adding really quickly since sage got rolled out and then we've got pretty grand ambitions for the future sure and uh, can you reveal your revenue like approximate revenue is that something that you can do no so i can tell you a range we can't yeah, tell you totally. we're we're over we're over a million and then really looking to double that pretty quickly here. and is that arr that's arr okay so okay got it so you've got million got it so and uh, talk about your growth right so when where were you would say 12 months before today yeah so we went through the techstars barclays accelerator in new york 
um, and graduated through that a year ago. And um, really between then and then our participation in the Mass Challenge program this year, um, our product really went from almost nothing to this. Okay. So we had done a lot of research into the, the, the technical and the climate change problems affecting insurance, fintech in general, and especially finance, because there's so many firms that want to be net zero now, but don't know how to get there. And that's where we ideated on the Sage product. And really, since we got that running earlier this summer, it's been off to the races. So, so essentially, you're saying in one year, you went from zero to one million, approximately one million dollars with, with around 20 <laughs> customers. Is that what you're saying? That's okay, correct. no, I'm not, I'm not even going to ask anything about your product or, you know, your customers. I'm directly deep dive into, you know, how you're getting all of these customers. So like, since, you know, <laughs> you, you've got just 20 customers, right? I know you, you really know where all of these customers are coming from. So let's start with your top of funnel first, right? So where are you finding all of these potential leads in the first place? Yeah, so we, we are very, very focused on using the networks we're into. So our first institutional money was from Village Global, which is a, um, a VC fund in San Francisco. They have a really tight group into the financial industry, and that's helped us. When we got into the Techstars Barclays Accelerator, it's very, very focused on um, family introductions, basically, like for, uh, introducing you into, into conversations with the firms that really want to change. Because there's a whole bunch of firms that are saying they want to do this, but when it comes to actually paying money or putting resources, they're like, ooh, actually, we just did a press conference. <laughs> so with us, it's really using those good introductions to connect to the firms that really are ready to do something and pay for it and really get ahead of the rest of their competitors for it. That's where we've been able to gain the customers. Is that the only channel that, that you just focused on so far? Just based on this so warm far. intros? Yeah, so far, obviously. Right. So, yeah, because okay. we're, we we just got to product market fit. So yeah, now sure. we we now our challenge just to go out and market. But yeah, that we wanted sense. to build. That that yeah. makes a lot of sense anyway. So now talk about your conversion, right? So now once you once somebody introduces you to this potential lead, right, who is sort of looking to sort of use your product, what happens now? And I I really want you to walk through the exact process that you sort of typically you know take, right, uh, with with real examples sure. so that we can understand how it goes, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. So it, uh, first off, it depends on the size. So we have some very large customers. I mean, with them, our focus really goes to finding that internal champion. So this is such a new space and so many people are worried about doing it wrong that for us, finding somebody bold enough to really to understand why what we're doing is better than what they can get for the rest of the market is vital. If we're, if we're going uh, for a big whale and we can't find an internal champion, we usually just kind of let them drive. Which, because it's which not team go do you there. sell within a company? Which, who's this target yeah. persona that you're targeting? <laughs> who's this champion? Yeah, so you, usually it's the head of data will come to us or the chief sustainability officer. Mm -hmm. So um, it depends if the firm is looking to make itself net zero or if they're looking to use us to verify their deals. Mm -hmm. There's two different people usually in those groups, but they know each other. Got it. So yeah, talk about that. So once you find this, you know, internal so internal champion, what happens after that? So so I'm understanding. So is it a sales led motion where you've got a bunch of people within your team trying to you know get into these meetings? Maybe have those like talk about the entire conversion funnel. Yeah. So the conversion first is usually them asking something like, "I heard that you guys can do this ten times faster than competition. Tell me, are you just one of those startups that just says stuff to try to get people in the door?" So a lot of times it's overcoming that first objective. And then we have a we have a pretty nice demo that we can actually run through that lets people see what the current setup is from a lot of our competitors and then lets them see how ours goes deeper, is more understandable at every education level and is really auditable. Like people can really stand beside behind our expertise 
in a way that they can't with our competitors. So it's really getting them to really say like, oh, okay, I get it. They're doing this different and better. That's the first hurdle. And then from there, it's okay, how can I plug you guys in? This sounds perfect. So what happens after that? So let's say you've managed to convince someone with a demo, right? So now how do you sort of convert them into paying customer? So what's the exact process? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we have, we have a couple different tiers. The, it depends. Uh, we have two use cases. One that we've seen is if a customer of ours or a prospect has a specific portfolio of assets and they want to make sure that that portfolio is carbon neutral, that's a different use case sure. than if it's a new company that says, I've never calculated my scope one emissions, help me. Yeah. So if it's the financial assets, we usually take an audit of what they've got first, and then we'll ascribe what portion of all the companies they own that their carbon they're responsible for. And then they can use that as their offset number to either buy offset credits or to start decarbonizing their own industry. On the other side, for the, the companies that have never done this before or their bank or their asset manager, et cetera, our approach is really much more generalized to say, here's the benchmark, here's the direct assets, and this is how your customer sits in between. So they essentially get like a report card when they're looking at multiple assets. And how much time does it actually take for them to sort of plug your solution and start seeing that value? Yeah, so um, this is more of my background as a banker, but I push people pretty hard at the beginning to say, look, if you're not interested in going quickly, we're probably not the best company for you. So from, from confirmation of interest to booking for a big firm, that's usually two months or less is what we try, especially with just a foot in the door approach. Yeah. And for more of the smaller shops, we can do that in a couple of weeks. Got it. So, so what happens in these two months? So is it, uh, so like how many, so I'm just trying to understand like, how tough it is to sort of yeah. sell these deals, right? And these are huge deals, to be honest, right? 50K ACV is a huge deal. Yeah. Right? So I just <laughs> want to get the sense of how many meetings do you do and like what happens during those meetings and like who, who, who are the ones who are actually doing these meetings? Do you have any closers in your team? So just uh, give us a sense about that process within those two months. Yeah. So the first couple of calls, I would say for a, for a medium sweet spot client for us, we're going to have about six meetings in those two months. The first three are going to be vetting, where essentially they bring in their chief ESG people, their chief sustainability people, and usually their head of vendor management, and they put us through the ringer. They want to make sure that we're academically sourced, that we're, we have insurance, that we back up what we have, and that we have other customers. After we get past that, okay, Floodlight is a, is a serious player, Mark. It's all about how do we start implementing you? So do you guys want us to go to your entire portfolio, or do you just have one that you want us to focus on? Or in the other use case, it's do you have a live deal now that you're looking to either buy or merge or acquire with another company? Because that way we can turn it around in four days and really show them how quickly both they can get the data and the analytics to back up a good decision or get them out of a bad one. Right. So, so got it. So once, let's just say once you land with these customers, I know it's still early days, it's just been a year, right? So how do you plan on to expand these accounts, right? And what are your pricing axes along which you can potentially expand in the future? Yeah. So we're looking at several marketplaces. We, we posted this on LinkedIn, so it's public knowledge, but we're on the open fact set marketplace as well. Um, and that, that's really been helpful for us because if a, if a data provider as trusted as FactSet has vetted us and said, hey, this is legitimate good data you can build on, that helps us. We've done the same with Chainlink. They're a Web 3.0, uh, both cryptocurrency provider and a blockchain enabler that's really taking over the world. 
those kind of uh, flywheels for us are vital because we want people to be able to access us, but borrow the legitimacy of other firms who will say, hey, trust us, we've vetted these guys. So a lot of what we do then is really saying, okay, you can trust us. Here's the data. Here's an example. Tell us what your exact problem is. And then we can give you one of our three products that are now or co-develop one if it's in the future. So my I'm usually the closer. Yeah, my question was a bit different. So I was trying to understand, for example, oh, if, you if you landed a 50K ACV deal, right? If you managed to close a 50K deal. Right? So how do you convert that to, let's say, 100K or 150K in the next year? So how, are, how do oh, you sure. plan to expand a landed account? So that was my question. Yeah, great question. No so the, the first deal will usually be what's called scope one. So it's director measuring their own emissions. The, what we can tack onto that is scope two. We can give them some preliminary work around their scope three. So their supply chain as well. And then it gets a little bit deeper as, we, as they actually want to adhere to different frameworks. So there's SASB, there's TCFD, there's UN Sustainable Development Goal numbers, and then there's even PCAF. So all the services and all the intellectual quotient that's required to really adhere to those are cross-sells for us that we can really bring into bring in to expand that relationship. All right. So one question here. So for all of these customers, right? So, and I'm talking about the second segment where a, cust a customer is basically buying your product to measure their own, you know, emissions or whatever you call that, right? So, so why is it that they really want to measure? Is it, is it some compliance that they're trying to sort of, you know, follow or is, so what is that necessity and why is it that they're sort of seeing this problem all of a sudden? What changed, right? So what's yeah. the trigger? <laughs> yes. So BlackRock three years ago, um, Larry Fink sent a letter to every one of their stakeholders, and this is $7 trillion behind it saying, hey, every C-suite person hearing this, you need to start tracking the CSG number and reporting it or we're going to fire you. That was one. What really got people moving this year is when the SEC proposed a new rule in March saying you have to, if, if we adopt this rule next year, you have to be able to stand behind the numbers you tell us for scope one and two with the same legal ramification if you're lying as you would be on your financials. So if you, if you go to market and your CFO has signed saying you have 100,000 tons of carbon and it's proven that you have 200, you're looking at the nine-figure fine if, if looking to Europe as any forecast for the future. So that's right. where we see people kind of terrified now. Okay, guess looks like it's a great time to sort of build your company. Uh, that's, <laughs> compliance is the people only thing. People need help that, is how that, we say it, but yes, time is good. <laughs> look, I mean, compliance is something that will definitely work. I mean, if you have a rule, you've got to follow it. Well, people have to buy it, right? So there's absolutely nothing in the world exactly. that can beat it, yeah. That totally makes sense. And just and just most come, of most yeah. of Europe, Japan, and and Singapore, New Zealand, they're already doing this. They already require it. So it's the US just finally saying, okay, world, we'll do the same. Got it. And talk about your first segment. Let's let's talk about them, right? So you mentioned PE firms sort of vetting all of these potential acquisitions or you know, sales that they're trying to do, right? So in terms of the use case as such, isn't it a one-time thing, right? For example, if I'm a PE firm, right? So how do you go on? So how do you close that subscription business with them? Because I'm assuming these yeah. are like, yeah, you got the question, right? Yeah. yeah, I got the question. So there's two reasons to continue on a subscription instead of a one and done. The first is there are a lot of federal programs like PACE, where if a PE shop can show that they are actually reducing their energy usage or essentially reducing their carbon emissions, they can get um, beneficial interest rates from their, from their banks. They can get better tax treatment, et cetera, but they have to have a proof case. They can't just say, we think we're decarbonizing. So they can use our data for that as the first one. The second is most of large PE firms are now incentivizing their deal makers on full performance, not just financial. 
So if they can actually prove that same track record of either we bought this asset and we reduced its carbonization or we bought an asset that had horrible carbonization and we've turned it around and it's profitable, that's major bonus potential for all players involved. Plus the environment is better, which means that they have a better reputation. They have less reputation risk by being perceived as you know, somebody who doesn't care about the environment but needs their EPS. Right. So essentially they need this continuous up-to-date information. That's where they're going to stick with your subscription. Got it? That makes yeah, a lot that's of sense. where you get the most value. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just, let's let's understand you know, about your backstory, right? So when did you start the company and just talk about how many on your founding team? Yep. So I started the company three years ago. Uh, there are three of us on our founding team. I was a career banker. I worked for Wells Fargo and Silicon Valley Bank and Capital Markets. And really most of my, um, most of my interest really webbed news, history, and financial all together. And so as I got to see the rise of ESG impact, sustainability investing, I saw that there was so much fluff. Like it was all just like whatever you could write up on a blog, people just agreed with it and accepted it. And that seemed like a, a terrible idea to me. <laughs> so seeing and getting to meet with Suchi and Josh and see what technology is available to really move this whole industry from kind of a wild, wild west to something now where it's establishment adopted. That's what we want to do. And we want to take the top spot. Got it. And how many in your team as of today, the total number of folks in your team? Yeah, so we have seven members and we have quite a few contractors. As we kind of, as we grow, we can pull those back and forth. That's, uh, that's where we stand and, now. And how many engineers? On the engineering team, we have three. Three. So, so I'm just trying to understand how complex is your product? So how did you manage to build a product of that, this caliber with just three engineers? Yeah, the, I, I really have to hand it to Josh Pitts. He's our CTO and he's one of those people, I'm sure a lot of your audience will understand this well. He's one of those people who never wants to hire somebody to do something he hasn't done before himself. So every piece of, of our um, technological infrastructure, he's blazed the trail and then he hires back. We really look, look very, very fiercely at the, the credentials and the ability to be a lifelong learner on our tech stack because it is ambitious. It. <laughs> yeah. And when did you write that first line of code? Was it three years back? No. <laughs> so I'm, a, I'm the non-technical co-founder. Sure. So I'd probably said the first line of code was in year two. Year two. And first dollar of revenue was that in year three? Uh, that, no, we made some, we did a private beta um, with a, a part of the business I'm embarrassed even to talk about now, just as part of our iteration process for pulling in political donations instead of environmental data. We ran a private beta then. That was our, our first dollar. I think I was crying. <laughs> so Nate, so what next, right? How, how do you plan on scaling, right? I know till 20, you could, you, you, you used all of these warm intros and all of it, right? So now how are you going to grow it to, let's say $10 million in the next few years? What's the plan there? Yeah. yeah so the plan really for us is we want to be, we want to be the most admired um, non-financial data company in the world. We really want to be the ESG killer or the, um, the ESG Bloomberg terminal. What we really need to do in order to accomplish that is we need to make sure that our data is rock solid and, uh, and understand why people need to use it quickly. So for us, that's marketing and continuing to build the team out with the same level of expertise we have now, because there's just not a lot of people who have this expertise. It's a pretty new field. So we're really looking in far especially with our professor, with Dr. Suchi Gopal, a lot of her connections to academia, we're actively hiring into so that we keep that top mark of really what should be the bleeding edge of the science. So, so talk about this marketing team that you're sort of trying to build, right? So, 
So what's your vision? Who are you going to hire and what exactly are they, they going to do? Where are you going to focus during those next six or 12 months? So just talk a bit about that. Yeah, yeah so our, our marketing team, um, I'm running marketing now because I'm a, a startup founder. Yeah. I have to wear 12 hats every day. <laughs> but essentially what our marketing team, as we hire them on to do, their job will really be to help people that have landed a great job, like chief sustainability officers, ESG folks, they're making huge money, especially for established firms. Mm -hmm. What none of them want to admit is that they don't know how to do it. <laughs> so our marketing really is designed to say, Shh, we won't tell people, <laughs> but you can use us as really steel thread to understand how to actually make an actual impact rather than just make things look pretty, but not do anything. So for us, that's, that's really our, our modus operandi is to really say, we need to find the people that look to want to make an actual impact instead of the ones that just want to make it look pretty. Right. So, so, so my question was more in terms of, you know, uh, in terms of the exact processes and, you know, head count, right? So, so where I, so is it going to be sales led motion or are you going to sort of, you know, go marketing heavy and sort of, you know, so how, ex and make it, you know, a bit more self-serve or whatever that is, right? So how exactly are you going to scale this from 1 million to 10 million? That, that was more of my yeah, question. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's definitely marketing led. So we really, we really started, we were looking at some of the best feedback we've gotten from our clients in terms of how it changed their business. We want to use that very quickly before any of the other bigger players really understand what we're doing to say, we can do this for you too in a scalable solution quick. Hmm. So for us being able to get that message out, we think is the way for us to grow the fastest because our solution within the next three months should be fully automated. We won't really need a human to touch every contract. And then it's a lot easier for us to onboard as many new projects as there are out there. Got it. And just uh, one last question. So you mentioned you've been part of a few accelerators as well. It's how much funding did you raise as of today in total? Yeah, so we've raised a total of one seven. Everything at 1.7 million. Everything okay. since then has been bootstrapped. And that's absolutely great. So you've got a wonderful sales playbook and I mean, it's, you really nailed it so far, I'd say. Uh, so... <laughs> We're trying. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Nate. <laughs> thanks, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Hope you scale Flood Light to much greater heights. Thanks so much, Aprenda. Really loved being here.